This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Science Notes, a programme on Otago Access Radio brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 to 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. Well, good evening, and welcome to Science Notes again for another week. My name is Dave McMorrin, and this week, via Zoom, as usual now, our guest is Matt Robb. Hi, Matt. Hello. So, Matt is well into a PhD in chemistry, I think, are you? How far through are you? I'm uh, getting up to two years through, I think. Okay. So a year and a half. Over halfway. Um, although you seem like you've been around the department for a while. Yeah, well, what is it now? Six years, seven years or something? <laughs> Too long, a if fixture. you ask me. But... A fixture, you are. Um, so we'll be talking a bit tonight about what Matt's been up to for his PhD research um, and how he's ended up spending half his life in the department. Um, but we'll start off with a bit of music that he's brought along. I'm scared I might start to 
You're listening to Science Notes on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM, where tonight we're talking with Matt Robb, a PhD student in chemistry at Otago University. So before the bit of music, we were, we mentioned that you've been in the place for a while. So what is your background? How is it that you've ended up doing a PhD in chemistry? Um, well, I suppose um, probably started back in my uh, last two years of high school. So I went to high school in Central Otago, Dodson High School, and I had two really cool chemistry teachers there. And uh, when I was getting kind of towards the end of high school, I was wondering what I wanted to do and um, I decided the trades weren't really for me, not my talent. Um, so I decided to come down to Otago and uh, it's just looking at all the different subjects and uh, chemistry kind of stuck out the front for me because it was the subject that I enjoyed the most. So I ended up doing my bachelor's degree in chemistry here at Otago, along with a little bit of math, um, math minor. Um, and then I just happened to be, I think, uh, around the department and I was talking to um, Professor Sally Brooker, who's my supervisor now. Um, and I always had an inkling that I liked inorganic chemistry, so chemistry revolving around metals for the most part. Um, and she had a really cool project for me, so I stuck around for my honours year, and then I was intending to leave after that. And once again, she came to me with another cool project, and here I am, uh, six years later, after arriving in Dunedin, doing my chemistry in inorganic, uh, doing my degree in inorganic chemistry. So you must obviously enjoy it. I love it. <laughs> and she must enjoy having you around. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. So um, inorganic chemistry then. So so you're a, you're a synthetic chemist, so you make things, but the molecules you make have got metals in them. So what sort of metals are you particularly interested in? Um, so our group focuses around... Um, the lighter transition metals or first row transition metals. So that's kind of elements like iron, copper, cobalt, uh, zinc, yeah. kind of the, the more common metal elements, I right. would say. So as opposed um, to you. And putting different, sorry, putting different kind of organic shrubbery around the outside to tune the properties of those. Right. So rather than having metal ions like like um, you might find, like iron, you might find floating around in the ocean and stuff. You're you're deliberately incorporating those into more complicated molecules. Yeah, so we do kind of a little bit of organic chemistry um, first, and we design um, the outside of our molecules, I suppose, um, and then later on we're inserting the metal ions into those. And so, to what end? Um, so. For a starter, when I arrived in the group, it was, I suppose, more of just a general chemistry interest. We're trying to see if we could um, modify different electronic properties of the metals. Um, but nowadays, I'm more looking at magnetically interesting iron compounds for what is called spin crossover. So compounds that can have two different spin states right. um, that we can change between okay so so for the listeners out there here's your here's your test can you explain what a spin state is in an iron complex oh i mean 
It's essentially, if we think about our metal ion, we've got electrons flying around and there's two different places they can be. So they're called uh, low spin and high spin. So for the majority of ion compounds, you either have one or the other and it just kind of depends on what stuff is around the metal ion. Our compounds, we've tailored the organic stuff around the outside so that those complexes can sit in those two different states. So if we change the temperature um, of the compound, it will switch states, or we can hit it with a certain amount of light and it will change between those states. Okay, so I think the word you often use is, is, is tuning. So what you're trying to do then is to try and modify the shrubbery, as you called it nicely, around the outside. So you end up kind of with like an in-between sort of situation where it can be one or the other. Yeah, exactly. and. Um, as you're kind of getting at where we're tuning that so we can choose how it changes. So we can, uh, before we make the compound, we can say we want it to switch at, I don't know, say 20 degrees Celsius for something that would be useful in real, real life. Yeah. And we can design it appropriately so that when we go above 20 degrees, it's in one state. And when we drop it back down to 18 degrees or whatever, it's in the other state. How can you tell which state it's in? So I suppose the interesting things uh, about these compounds is when it's in uh, what we call the low spin state, it essentially doesn't react when you put it in a magnet. And when we change it to a high spin state, um, we get what are called um, unpaired electrons. So that means when you put it in a magnetic field, it gets repelled by that. So we've got a machine in-house that we can use to, to measure that. So we can change the temperature on it and measure how it's reacting in that magnetic field. Right. And, and ideally, you want that change to be somewhere around room temperature. Yeah. So if we're thinking about computers, right, all memory is kind of based on a one or a zero, an on or an off. Um, and that's a potential application for our compounds. But if our switching temperature is at, I don't know, 50 Kelvin, which is, what, minus 170 degrees Celsius, that becomes a lot less practical yeah. um, in real life. It's hard to get down to those temperatures. So you want to bring it up to around, to a usable temperature, I suppose. Yeah. And the reason why you mention those low temperatures is that historically that's the sort of temperature this switching behavior has been found at for these sorts of compounds, isn't it? Yeah, well, exactly. So um, if we think about it, the, the chance that you're going to hit room temperature is pretty low. Um, typically, it's either quite high, so getting it to potentially 100 degrees or more, or really low. So mm -hmm. you can get down to, what, 50, 100 Kelvin, so that's minus 170 or yeah. minus 120 Celsius, yeah. So we're trying to hit that kind of sweet spot. And so you do that just... Is it, is it kind of a directed approach or is it just try some stuff and see what works and then modify from there? Or So, I mean, I would say the, the tuning that we're doing um, as like an interest has been studied for like 10 years or so. So initially it's just kind of taking a guesstimate. So you've got a compound, you know whereabouts it sits. So you're just changing little things on that compound. So maybe you move 
if you we've got a ring bound to the iron, you'll change your nitrogen from one position to another. And it's just building up the literature, essentially. Yeah. yeah. So you can look back and say, these people found you could increase the switching temperature by changing X. So we're going to change X to get our compound up. And so this is where all the organic chemistry comes in, doesn't it? Because even though you're an inorganic chemist, the way to do this tuning, the way to subtly make these little changes is all through your ability to make the organic part of the molecule in a very deliberate way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the, the hard part for me personally, is the organic yeah. chemistry. And... It's a means to an end, as, 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 as we or inorganic chemists say. But yes, it's got to exactly. be done. It's not the fun part. No, it's got to be done. You You said that one way that you can see the switching is by the way that it behaves magnetically. But some of these compounds actually change colour when they switch as well, don't they? Yeah, quite quite significant colour changes. So in the low spin state, so that first state, you tend to get quite light colours, so a, a very pale light blue colours like that. Uh, when you switch into the high spin states, you can get really deep reds and purples and greens. and Yeah, so it's quite a significant colour change. One of the things that um, when I listen to, to people from your group talk that you're always very keen on is something called hysteresis. Can you explain to us, again, for the, for the person in the street, what hysteresis is and why it's important for what you're doing? Yeah, so hysteresis is um, an interesting phenomenon. It's found mostly in the solid state, um, which I haven't done as much work in, right. quite frankly. But the idea is that at one temperature, both of your spin states are stable. So you can have maybe a, a two-degree window where both states are stable. You can increase the temperature out of that window, and it will switch spin state. Go back to your original temperature, and it stays in that different spin state. And so it's kind of like the thing's got a memory, I think people say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, magnetic memory, I think. It's probably a better way to put it. Mm. And this is helpful for the applications, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So, you, um, yeah, for potential future applications, you want a kind of a resting temperature for your compound to be stable in at both states. Right. So earlier you mentioned about computers. Um How how could it be that you're, that you're the sorts of compounds that you're making find a use in computers? Well, I, I've got to be honest, it's probably a long way away. Yeah, 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 that's um, all right. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if we think about traditional computers, it's all based in silicon. And I think, what is it, transistors are getting down to around about five nanometers, Yeah, somewhere around there. But there's some point where you, they can't get smaller. So what we're saying is if we change to a single complex, which is a lot smaller than five nanometers, um, we could potentially increase the density of that memory. Right. So a lot more memory in the same space that you're already using. So you said earlier that um, computers fundamentally are about sort of having two different states, one, ones and zeros or ons and offs. 
um, you could do the same sort of thing with your compound. So rather than a tiny bit of silicon being on or off, you could have your molecule being on and off. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But then, and this is probably getting beyond into the the, the problems with the applications. But how would how would you potentially get your molecules arranged in such a way that they could replicate what we can have with a with a microchip currently? Yeah, well, that's one of the, the, the current issues, I would say. Um, there is a couple of different ways that have been kind of talked about. So one is uh, what's called a Langmuir blodgett, which is essentially uh, with your compound and it's got a fatty end, which doesn't like water. Um, and your, your iron compound itself, which does like water. And what you can do with that is you can form films which are quite stable. Um, I think that's probably one of the leading techniques. There's a lot of other techniques. Um, it's drop casting, spin casting type things where you can get thin films of your compound on the surface. But yeah, it's not an easy problem to yeah. solve by any means. Yeah. So I suppose the first thing you've got to do though is you've got to get the molecules that actually switch at the right sorts of temperatures. Because you can't run, yeah, well, exactly. You can't run your keep your computer at minus hundred degrees, um, and then once you've got Preferably that, probably not. <laughs> and then you can worry about how to how to actually make these things work. I suppose this is as much a job for the engineers as it is for the chemists. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Um, I I like these compounds because they're pretty and colourful and fun. Yeah. Um, that the actual applications going to be. Uh, a lot more difficult, I would say. Are people starting to work on that sort of thing seriously? Um, I believe there's a couple of um, uh, groups working in that area. Um, there's also been a couple of different applications. So one thing that it was used for, and I think this might have been even the early 2000s, there was a research group in France, I believe, that made a spin crossover screen. So because your compound is changing color, you can put that on a screen. Um, and by heating up certain parts of the screen, essentially, your compounds change color. Mm. Um, so that's an interesting kind of fun one. You could um, almost have like, an, like, see, a, a, like a display in a calculator or something, only changing yeah, by yeah, heat exactly, rather a than... a simple display. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I mean, sensor devices as well. Um, so... I've talked mainly about using temperature to change the spin state, but there's also um, essentially having different molecules in the well, different solvents in the environment. So think water or acetone or something like that. You can change your spin state, and right. your compound will show quite a significant change in color. So it's a visual indicator. So you could use um, it as a sensor. sensor. Yeah, for for detecting molecules in the environment that. That the molecules in, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you can you can and for some compounds you can induce the the spin change with pressure. I think as well, can you? Yeah, you there can... has been that kind of work as well. I think right. our group's done that a few years ago now. Yeah, um, yeah. There's all kind of ways. Um, if you get down to lower temperature, there's something called um, I think it's light induced spin state trapping, mm. which is essentially you're using light. To change your spin state, right? That's a fun one. So there's lots of, I mean, so the computers are a sort of a, an obvious thing, but they're you know 
a little bit down the track, but there's lots of applications for these sorts of things, sort of more straightforward ones, I suppose, isn't there? There's sensors and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, potentially for more of just a fundamental chemistry perspective, they're really nice compounds for um, checking essentially how your metal and your organic ligand react. So yeah. um, looking at what we call ligand field theory. Yeah, and, 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 and like we were saying earlier, just this idea that you can, you can take the organic part, you can fiddle, fiddle it a bit, see how that affects the, the properties of the compound, then fiddle it some more and go backwards and forwards to sort of fine-tune and just get a handle on the, the fundamental ways in which you can change the properties of molecules. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, I'm not in any uh, of the other fields, but you can imagine that this kind of thing would be useful if you're looking at um, metal catalysts and that type of thing. Um, you want to be able to tune the stuff around the metals for different applications. Yeah. That'd be quite cool, yeah. actually. If you yeah. had a metal that was catalytic in one spin state and not in the other, and you could turn the catalyst on and off with temperature or or pressure or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. That'd be interesting, yeah. It's not an it's not an easy topic, but there's definitely work being done on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're about a year and a half into the PhD, and there isn't really more yeah, that's theory after talk. that. <laughs> so, so what what's the, what plans for you after this? Have you plans at the moment or after this? I'm just hoping to get through yeah, get at this get point. Through, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, we'll see, we'll see what comes my way. I think. You know? Yeah. Hopefully, a couple of years from now, things might be a bit simpler, and and the sort of the standard head overseas for a postdoc or something might be more doable. Yeah, well, that's the ideal situation. Um, but at this point in time, we're just going to see what happens. I think. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, thanks, Matt, for for coming along for for zooming in, um, and telling My us what you've been up to. And um, thank you out there, everyone, for listening. I'll just remind you, you can listen to the show again next week at the same time and then at your leisure as a podcast from the Otago Access Radio website, which is www.oir.org.nz. We will finish with Matt's second piece of music he's brought along and thank you for listening.
live and die, meet somebody, take them home Let's kiss and then take off our clothes It's just another graceless night Science Notes, a program on Otago Access Radio Brought to you by the Science News and Promotion Group at the University of Otago. Join me, Dave McMorrin, as I chat with graduate science students. We'll find out about their research, why they do science at all, and what music they enjoy. Science Notes, Thursdays from 6.30 till 7pm, only on Otago Access Radio. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.